Today's Tuesday, August 6, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Ravens get a taste of real action as the Jaguars come to town. A certain Oriole has a new fan base from a different country. The Terps lose a key cog for this upcoming football season. And we're talking beards, beers, and brawls in the good, bad, and ugly. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. Yes, BS. What's up, BSers? It's been a while since I did that. <laughs> well, you didn't forget, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Fred, Scott, and Brian, man, it's episode 108 of the Birdland BS podcast. Uh, we are back after a, a one-week hiatus. Yeah, some unfortunate circumstances. I was already out of town, some unfortunate circumstances with the show, not being able to, to get it out live to everybody, so we apologize for that. But we are back. That's right, man. We got a lot to cover a lot involving the Ravens, as talked about prior to the show. Uh, Scott and I had a chance to go down to Ravens training camp. Got to see a look at the new offense up close and personal. Some things to be excited about. Some things that we might have a little bit of concerns about. And some things that have kind of already worked themselves out for us. <laughs> yeah, they worked themselves out quite easily. <laughs> uh, the Orioles. We talk about the fan base uh, being kind of small these days in Baltimore. Well, Yesterday, there was quite an interesting shift in the fan base, to say the least. Yeah, there's a pond involved. We're going to get into that. <laughs> and the Terps, man, I, I hate to talk about it, but uh, as Ryan and I always say on our Shell and Tell uh, show, all is well under the shell, all is well I, is not well under I the like the saying, right but it ain't true today. Not, <laughs> not sure. today. Things have been uh, rolling downhill. But before we get started with too much... Want to remind you guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell a home and you want someone that's going to go to bat for you, call our guy John Scheffenacher over at Redfin because he's a Redfin agent now. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. He's always available to take your call anytime, day or night. For you Oriole fans out there, you probably remember him as a sunglass guy sitting behind the dugout at Canyon Yards, so give John a call today, 443-604-6298. Yeah, you guys have heard me talk about it week after week, week in, week out. Uh, John really, I, I can't stress the customer service side of, of of John. You know, he takes care of you during the entire process. You know, everybody, it's it's a rough experience when you're buying or selling your home. You know, Fred, I think you could agree to that. It's definitely, it's not, it's not the most stress free situation. No, definitely not. <laughs> but he really takes care of his clients. He helps them find the home that they're looking for. If they're selling, he's able to list them, get it listed quickly, get it sold quickly. Uh, and he deals in the, the Maryland, Delaware, Virginia area, a little bit of PA. So if you're in the market to buy or sell your home and you want somebody that's really, in Fred's words, going to go to bat for you, you got to call John because he's definitely going to do that. He did that for me. He can do that for you. So make sure you call him. Again, that number is 443-604-6298. Or you can hit him up on his Gmail at, gmail, at johnsheffa at gmail.com. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F-A at gmail.com. 
All right, man, so we switched it up this week. We got so much to talk about with the Ravens. I'm getting excited. Thursday's the first preseason game. Uh, the Jaguars have come to town for the past couple of days to do some inter-squad scrimmaging and practicing together. And uh, I don't think it could have come at a better time because, man, tempers were starting to flare <laughs> a little bit out on the practice field. These guys have been bumping heads against each other for a while now, so I'm sure it was nice for them to finally get some some fresh blood and some different faces in there. Yeah, I mean, I, to your point, we, we saw, you know, to kind of get into it for a minute, we got into and got a chance to go to, thanks to you, to Ravens training camp two weeks mm -hmm. ago. Uh, Thanks we, to the Ravens, it was well, free. Yeah, it didn't yeah, cost me anything. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it cost you a season tickets. I yeah, guess. I mean, I so guess. it came free with that, free with your purchase. <laughs> uh, but it was a great experience yet again. They did a great job uh, taking care of the fans. I brought us some uh, two of those like wet towels that like oh, keep you cool. Money. They were they were game savers. But I was a little pissed when I get there, and that's what they're handing out. <laughs> yeah, the Ravens had a little one that was a little bit nicer. It had Ravens logos on it, but uh, either way. I, don't, I didn't want to ruin that clutch. one with water, though. It was clutch. It was. Uh, but, no, you talked about you know some of these guys getting into it. One of the things that we saw while we were there that was a, a point of note during that situation was we saw uh, Kenny Young kind of get into it and actually it was Hayden Hurst that gave Kenny Young the shove. Yeah. Uh Kenny Young was kind of draped over him on a, on a throw uh, across the the uh across the middle, a little bit more going towards the sideline. Uh but Kenny Young was draped over Hurst and Hurst was pissed through the ball at him, shoved him. And it wasn't an easy shove. It was a shove and the whole entire stand goes, "Ooh." Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking football, right? It's a man sport. It's a rough and tough game. There's going to be tempers at flare. And when you get to these dog days of training camp, you've been out in this ridiculous heat that is Baltimore heat right now and the humidity. These guys are ready to uh, take the frustrations out on anybody that'll that'll appease. And I'm, if that means their own teammates, they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I know somebody that got kicked out and ejected from practice. <laughs> yeah, man. So that, this was kind of an interesting story. So apparently John Harbaugh, he was kind of reached his limit with some of his frustrations with the way that the defense uh, had been making mistakes and led to penalties. And then you got people complaining about penalties with the refs, you know, pointing fingers and whatnot, typical football players. I mean, that's what right. we see out of them. But then cornerback Cyrus Jones, this is a guy I talked about a couple of times, I think is really fighting for a position on this roster because – we have so much depth at corner. I don't see his value there. His value is going to have to come from the special team side, which he did a good job at the end of last year. But when you start looking at this wide receiver core, who's going to make it, who's not, his position or his spot could come. It could be one of those positions that they end up nixing yeah. when it all comes down and when they get down to the final 53. But uh, he ended up getting ejected from practice for arguing and, and throwing a temper tantrum. And then Marlon Humphrey kind of comes in, a guy that I really expect to kind of take that next step as, as a leader on this defense and a, definitely a leader in that secondary, not just from a performance standpoint, but I think he's just got that personality, at least to me. He's a well-educated person. He's smart when it comes to – he's got a high football IQ. Yeah, agreed. I could see him really taking over that leadership role in the secondary or learning from Earl Thomas in that sense. Yeah, I mean, you expected him to take a little bit more leap and that leadership role, to your point, 
But when you when you have a move like what he decided to do, where he's chirping back at at Harbaugh, that's not that's not something a leader does. Right. A leader says, "Hey, my bad. That was my fault." You know, right. maybe there's a private conversation between him and the coach a or little later. Or just let what happened with with him with Harbaugh and Cyrus Jones be. Right. You know, I get it. Like you want to come to your boys back and you want to protect, you know, your teammates and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we're talking about training camp. You know, and 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 Cyrus Jones, again, a guy that's fighting for a position, really needs to be mining his P's and Q's, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And then, like, sorry, I jumped my jumped my guns there on the Marlon Humphrey statement. Bar- Marlon Humphrey also also walked off the practice right. field, exactly, with that because of that whole situation. And it's just when I see stuff like that, and we're going to talk about another guy with issues later. When I see stuff like this, I'm like. We haven't seen this much disruption in training camp before. Like I, eh. the, it, Wink, Wink said it. When's it, he's like, I don't remember ever seeing a guy get ejected from training camp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was maybe a little harsh for Harbaugh, and again, it could just be his frustrations boiling over a little bit as a coach as did, well. Did or, you hear Harbaugh's statement after though? I did not. Harbaugh's statement was basically, you know, we're not going to tolerate some of the actions and some of the statements that were being made. And if that means it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go. Yeah, and that could be. I, again, we're not privy to hear <laughs> the <Yeah>. interactions <laughs> that went on the field, so I don't know we, what was we said. We are privy to the mic-ups. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what was said, but nonetheless, it's a situation. It's been handled. They've all kind of moved on from it. Uh, but, you know, what? Let's, let's get into a little bit about what we saw there at training camp and also what's kind of been transpiring over the last couple of days since the Jaguars have been there. And we'll start with, obviously, the position that – everybody's concerned about everybody talking about everybody's talking about quarterback. We didn't have a chance to talk about this last week, obviously, because we didn't do the show last week, but the big news uh, with the quarterback position was that RG three ended up going down with a hand injury, hitting the helmet of Tim Williams, which he should have never been anywhere near RG three to begin with. Right. Nonetheless, RG three, I think he fractured a finger or, you know, he did some damage, ligament damage. I think it was a thumb. I think it was a fracture of the thumb. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. But what was impressive to me, and I don't know what your take is on this, but the very next day was the day that we went to training camp and who's out there in full on uniform, RG three. Now he wasn't going through all the drills that, you know, all the other quarterbacks were going through, but he's still out there participating as much as he possibly can going through the motions he's even throwing left-handed yeah and that's the thing that i was like they they're going out there and they're just doing you know motion and technique with movement right and this guy is out there doing that same thing with his left hand like you're not going to be doing this in a game right you're not you're going to be throwing from the other side if you're in that situation but he was throwing you and i were talking about he was throwing some pretty Decent balls at 10, 15 yeah, yards. I mean, he's never going to play a game throwing left-handed. But I'll tell you what, he threw the ball a thousand times better than I would have left-handed. But I tell you <laughs> what, sure. that's in the back of my mind. Because if I ever need him on the field and he's running the opposite way, I know he can now throw it with his left hand 10 oh, yards. Guy did that, that did that to us in high school, but threw it about 65 yards downfield opposite hand. Uh, so. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy for the Chiefs that did it last year. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's that's the type of stuff that you, you look for. And like you talked about, him going through the motions. You know, This guy, in the you can see it when we were there. You can see it in all the videos that are coming up and popping up through the, through the Ravens. He is behind Lamar or next to Trace or next to Callahan 
And he's going through the exact motion. He's doing the snap counts. He's doing the dropbacks. Yeah. He's doing the throwing motion, he looking in the it. right direction. He gets it. There's a few times I even saw him throwing in the opposite direction of Lamar. So he's seeing something that he feels Lamar didn't see. Right. And when then I see the two of them kind of come together, there's a little conversation. That's what you paid RG3 to do. Exactly. He's going the extra mile as a backup quarterback and as a backup quarterback should. So completely drew an all-new respect for RG3. Agreed. I mean, I've always liked RG3, but that just kind of it, it solidified it for me. Now, you mentioned the name Callahan. So the Ravens go out, obviously, with losing, losing RG3. The only other quarterback they had in the wings was rookie six-round draft pick Trace McSorley. So they go out, and, and we had talked about it at training camp. I thought that they might go after a Josh Johnson or a Josh – yeah, Josh Johnson, Josh Johnson, who had been here previously. And they brought him in after, they right after we left. <laughs> they brought him in. They offered him the uh, the spot, but uh, he decided to pursue other interests, so he decided not to sign with the Ravens. And the Ravens bring in Joe Callahan as a backup quarterback. Now, this guy is just going to be a camp body. He's going to be the, you know, the break that Lamar needs, you know, and Trace needs in order to make sure that everybody's getting the reps they need. So he's not going to be any kind of a long-term solution. RG3 will be coming back in I think another 5 to 6 weeks depending upon Some how long this lines. long how long this injury lasts. Um, but, you know, when we were at training camp, that obviously gave us more of a look at Trace McSorley because the day we were there, it was only Lamar and Trace at that point Agreed. Yep. throwing the football outside of the little bit of stuff RG3 was doing. And for me, you know, again, Trace McSorley comes in as a sixth-round draft pick, and he looked every bit of a sixth-round draft pick. I like what Trace McSorley brings as the gadget guy. I think that you know he can be used on this roster in many different ways. So I like that about Trace McSorley. We actually got to see him line up. In special, special teams. teams, doing some gunner rolls and doing some return work. That he was doing thing. some uh, punt blocking as well. <clears throat> exactly. So we got to see him, and, and I like what he brings to the roster in that aspect. But what I saw out of him that particular day from the quarterback perspective, I did not like. He was short-arming balls. He didn't have the arm strength. He couldn't get the ball over the offensive line. He struggled with that. Uh, on quite a quite a few passes that ended up being tipped. There were there were a lot of batted passes that he just couldn't he just couldn't handle and the height. You, you're you're spot on with that. That his height is a role when he can't see over these guys that are six three and six four, and you can't see your receivers. You're not going to hit them. Right, and so that's that was my concern watching Trace McSorley. Now, again, it's still early. He's a sixth round pick. He's still developing, and it's going to take time. But let's not kid ourselves. Trace McSorley wasn't a great quarterback at Penn State either. No, I mean he was brought he was brought in as we said to be that guy that's gadget player. We expect him to be used like Taysom he's, Hill. He's that that Ravens version of the college athlete. You know when yeah. they title a player an athlete because he doesn't really have a defined position. That's kind of going to be his role, I think, on this roster if he makes the fifty three man. Uh, but now I will say this: over the last couple of practices since the Jaguars have come in. He has looked better. He has thrown some of the deep balls. I've seen some video out there, some footage out there, where he was making some throws that he was overthrowing or way off the mark when we were there. So He's making adjustments, he's which making is good. Adjustments, adjustments, and he's doing like the things that you want. Exactly. I just don't want to see the Ravens go into week one with Trace McSorley as their only option as the backup quarterback there. I don't think he's ready for that. I think, I think this week is going to be the look with Callahan is going to be huge. Uh, how he how he really plays a role in this this setup. 
Uh, I, I hope he comes in and does better than McSorley, but time's going to tell with him. He's got to he's got to get used to this offense. He's got to get used to the play calling, and I, I don't think we've seen enough yet to know whether he's he's going to be the guy that can fill RG's three shoes for now, right? Uh, and not have it be McSorley. But talking about quarterbacks, there's one guy that we haven't talked about yet. What name is that? Hashtag <laughs> Lamar effect. Right. Um. I got to ask you, because we saw a little bit, you know, prior in some of the practices prior to us going, we saw the practice that we, you know, that he was doing there, uh, you know, this past week and the week, you know, prior, we've seen a lot out of him over the past few weeks. Um, he's getting a lot of national attention right now. Mm -hmm. Um, some say rightfully so others say unrightfully so what is your take on what you saw? out of Lamar in his first practice compared to when we went compared to, you know, where you think he's at right now? One word progression. Okay. And I've seen, I've seen some pretty big strides from where he finished the year last year to where he's at right now. He looks more comfortable. He looks more poised. He makes better decisions. He's making better throws. I've even seen like once he, he almost seems like, he needs he needs a little bit of a warm up period to get going because once he gets going he finds his groove and you'll see tighter spirals you'll see better accuracy he even kind of went back you know last year <clears throat> it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't really watch Lamar too too much in college so I didn't know mechanically what to expect from him but he kind of gives you this little flick of the wrist almost like sidearm type action on certain passes and last year when I first saw it I was like what in the Jesus was that like it looked awkward but when he throws that way he throws very accurately and I saw him doing that a little bit in practice which tells me one of two things either one he hasn't kind of taken the tutelage to knock that off or two the coaches were like hey it works keep using it so I don't know what the the approach is there but I like it I seem to recall a certain quarterback came out of college and did the same thing and was chastised for it and run out of the NFL, and now he's playing for the Mets. Because he sucked, Scott. No! He, he took the, He took the Denver Broncos to the playoffs that year. Let's talk about that. No, just kidding. We're not even going to get into that. <laughs> no, but no, I, I, I like what I see. It, to, to your point, the, some of the moves and the progression that he's had, you know, people are definitely you know buying in. I think I'm definitely buying in to the fact that he's going through, he's making the adjustments, he's really saying... I, I need to get better. The question then becomes, Is are we going to see a balance? So that was going to be my next question for you. Is, okay. Okay. I want to get your take. There's been some interesting and different sides of the fence comments made in the media by both John Harbaugh and Lamar. John Harbaugh had been quoted as basically saying that the Ravens and this offense is going to be predicated under Lamar running the football. Matter of fact, when they asked him about Cam Newton's record for most rushing attempts by a quarterback yeah, in a season, this. Harbaugh said, ah, you might want to bet the over on that for Lamar. Well, Lamar says in a recent statement that he hasn't been running anywhere near as much as he had in the past that he has been working on his, his passing game and that they're going to open up the passing play the passing playbook for him. So which side of the fence do you think is telling the truth here or posturing? Um 
I'm torn on this because Harbaugh, it, I'm not going to say he's a master because he still kind of sucks at it, but he's better at it. Um, but I got to go with Lamar is just saying what they're telling him to say right now. See, I'm on the other end of this. I think I think Harbaugh's talking out of his ass and pu- purposely saying, "Okay, get in the box, stop the run, because we're going to surprise you and we're going to throw past you all day long. We want you to think that but we're going to be are running you doing the ball that? Are you doing that just for the first few games so that then you can have them drop back and now they now they really are, are completely off, off their base? Is that what your plan we, is? We talk about week to week in the NFL how important each win is, right? And you can't project what's going to happen over a 16-week season. So all you can do is try to play the poker face and try to play the poker game and get people to buy into, yeah, Lamar's going to run the ball a thousand times. Predicate your defense around stopping Lamar and stopping the run. And then come out there, guns blazing, week one, week two, week three, and let Lamar beat you through the air. So Garnett brings up a good point. He's the, he thinks a well-balanced ball is coming. He says even the owner said Lamar isn't going to be running as much. Agreed. Could that have been Bashadi posturing? No. I think Harbaugh is like the king of posturing. Like, he is the <laughs> definition of posturing. He has that old antage like, oh, well, if, you know, if I, if I give the media too much, you know, the other teams are going to use it as fuel or use it as fire. Da, da, da. So let me feed the media some BS stuff. Or, or is it because he said it plain? There was no, there was no like... Hidden wording, you know, hitting wording here with Harbaugh. Right. Could he have? Could it have been the other way? I'm playing devil's advocate here. I, I agree with you, but could it have actually have been the other way? It could have. Could, could he be saying that? And everybody going, ah, Harbaugh's posturing again. Here we go. They're going to be. Th- they're going to be throwing the so ball. So the reverse, reverse psychology. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's the du- It's the double reverse. <laughs> the there double you go. Reverse. Well, no. See, I, I I agree with Garnett. I do think that we're absolutely going to see a more balanced offense. It's not going to be balanced. It's still going to be run heavy, but we will see more of a progression in the passing game for Lamar this year. So, yes, it will be a more balanced offense than it was last year when Lamar took over, but don't kid yourself. You, Lamar's greatest asset is his feet. You think we'll see some more uh, some more pitch-style plays this year to guys like Edwards and, and Ingram or and maybe we're some catches do, out of the backfield for them? We're going to do anything and everything we can to get these guys in space okay. because speed is kills and when you can get guys the ball in space to make plays whether it's out of the backfield whether it's quick pitches whether it's quick dump off passes whatever it is that's where this offense is going to succeed okay all right well you talk about speed killing we can't not talk about we can't talk about speed and not talk about the fact that we finally have gotten to see hollywood yeah and everybody is saying this kid is faster than we've ever seen before yeah, I mean, I think uh, there was a uh, an article out there that they had Hollywood clocked at like a mile an hour faster than Marlon Humphrey, and this was when Hollywood Brown was still rehabbing. Right, he's and and he was, he was saying he was I'm, a, I'm not even 100 percent yet. Right, and he was a full mile an hour faster than Marlon Humphrey, who's one of the fastest guys on the team. So the speed is 100 percent there with this guy. They're still kind of easing him back in as far as, you know, his cutting and, and certain route running and that kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, the the encouraging part is they got him back before the preseason game. And 
they'll be able to kind of limit the amount of snaps that he gets, but he can get in there and get some exposure that makes him, in my opinion, ready for week one to take on a full wor- a full workload. As long okay. as he doesn't have a setback. But I will say this. So we had talked about over the past couple of weeks the wide receiver core going to be a, a tough battle for those last couple of spots. One, it's going to depend on how many wide receivers the Ravens decide to actually keep. Right. And then two, who are the last couple of guys? And we threw around a bunch of names out we, there. Well, and- we also said that this was going to be, we thought this was going to be a battle to the end. We thought this was going to be one of the last battles really truly to be decided. And one of the guys that people were kind of back and forth on was Jordan Lasley. And right before his demise and his release, (laughs) you and I were at training camp. And what did I say to you? I said, there's no way Jordan Lasley makes this roster. There's absolutely no way. He was dropping too many. He was dropping passes. He was running lazy routes. He's trying to catch things one-handed when he can't catch with two hands. They they yelled at him. I forget who it was that was yelling at him one time. He he wasn't, it wasn't, uh, um, uh, Martindale or Hardball or um, Greg Roman, right? But it was somebody, somebody else. I'm assuming a wide receivers coach that was yelling at him because Probably David Cullen. He complete. He went left, and Lamar threw it right, and Lamar looks at. at I guess it was Cullen then, and Cullen's like, "What the hell are you doing? Right. Like you were supposed. That's the play call. You ran the complete wrong route." Right, and it was it was bad. It was just completely bad. I I agreed with you as we were sitting there, and then you know he he makes the move where he uh, he got into it with two guys. I forget who it was, uh, but he got into it with two guys and then threw the ball into the pond after yeah. a, after a touchdown catch. This guy did absolutely no favors in, in keeping his spot. He was released, which the only he thing, was also ejected before being released. He was he sent was. back to the showers. The only way I saw him making this roster was because the Ravens typically value draft picks so much that they try to give them every chance they possibly can and then another before hence Bashad Perryman before they finally let go of that (laughs) but they were able to do it and for me that tells me more about Eric DaCosta and how his stance is going to be he doesn't seem to care if you are a draft pick or not if you're not performing you're not going to be on this roster and I like that I appreciate that out of Eric DaCosta so I'm glad to see him go yeah but another guy that uh, got waived, and we won't spend any time on this, but this was more so just again, kind of not surprising. He wasn't really in our talks anyway. Yeah, he's a guy that just hasn't been able to stay on the field. When he did in preseason last year, he looked okay before the injury, but that's Quincy Adeboyo. Uh He was then released. So there you go. You got two guys that were basically taken out of the mix. Yeah. Uh, But another guy that I know uh, one of our big fans out there, Samuel L. Jackson, he always talks about uh, another Louisville teammate of Lamar Jackson is Jalen Smith. This is a guy that I didn't know a whole lot about. Again, I didn't watch a whole lot of Louisville football. I know a lot from what I've read and that kind of things. And I knew the areas that he struggled in. And it was evident in training camp (laughs) yeah it was much slower than everybody else slow getting out of routes poor route running um his hands were okay dropped a couple of passes he did make a couple of tough catches he has looked better i will say this he made a great catch yesterday in training camp practice did see see that video uh, that everybody went wild over including all his teammates but one one thing can't be the thing that that makes you know makes you the team and if you're on the fence that's one thing but this is a guy that's not there i I see if if somehow he makes this team it's on special teams 
He definitely. And I mean, I, I don't even I, know I don't that even, I see that. I, at best, I think he makes a practice squad spot. At best, but I don't even think he makes a practice squad spot. Really, you because think I think there's other options that we have that are better options okay. than him. And this isn't a slight on this guy. I just. He's just not there. He's not NFL ready. I'm not saying he can't be an NFL wide receiver. I just don't think he's NFL ready as of right now. But two guys that absolutely are, and one of which is a rookie and one of which is a second-year guy that's really taken a leap, Miles Boykin. Everybody's going crazy over this guy, and rightfully so. We got to see it in person. And Jaleel Scott, huge jump from where he was last year. Yeah, I I mean, Boykin is – he is the guy that the teams are going to need, need to be watching. He's every bit that he has advertised. He is. He has the size. He has the speed. He has the athleticism. When he wants to use his strength, he can. But it's, it's sometimes that's the only kind of knock I'll give on him is that he has this size. I'd but he like, doesn't use the physicality. I'd like to see him be a little bit more physical than he is. But, man, he runs really clean routes. He's got great hands. He will go up and high point a ball. We saw that while right. we were there. He Lamar threw a shot up to him, and he went up, and he was the only man to get it in the back corner of the end zone. Right. And that's where you plan on using him. But he also, he also took one across the middle that he was in traffic. And if that's a, if that's a play, he's going to get hit clean. Agreed. And he came up with it, no problem. Right into a run. You know, it is training camp, so he's not getting hit hard. He's not really getting hit at all. But it was, an, it was a nice, clean route. And if you don't run a clean route, you don't catch that ball. Right. That's what people have to remember is you, you have to, when it's a five-yard stunt route, you've got to go five yards. You can't go five and a half because your quarterback is, in, in the NFL, your quarterback is good enough to know where the five and a half mark is right. for you and your route that you should be running. Another guy that I thought... Showed some some good things early on in camp, and a guy that a lot of people were high on. This could be that undrafted guy that continues the streak for the Ravens to make the roster as an undrafted free agent, Antoine Wesley. Yeah. Um, now, I will say this. As the pads came on, I didn't quite see the separation that he was getting when they were just playing in shirts and shorts. Uh, so I think that slowed him down a little bit, but that uh, that was a knock on him coming out of college was that he didn't have that separation type right. speed, and that's why he went undrafted. But there's no questioning this guy's hands and kidding. his ability to use his body in positioning to get up and go after the football. I really, really like what I see from the, this kid in that sense. I, I like that. I you, you hit the nail on the head with me. This guy's hands are solid. Yeah. With some of the guys that we've seen and some of the issues that we've seen, not being able to catch the ball, when it's thrown at your chest, yeah. that's, where, that's where it really pisses me off. When you get hit in the chest and you can't catch it or you drop it in stride, that's a problem. Right. And this guy hasn't, we haven't really seen that out of him. I think he's maybe had one or two major drop passes that we've seen, uh, but nothing that throws any red flags to me that this guy can't make this team in one way, shape, or form. And two guys that are kind of, I think, going for a position, I think we'll keep one and get rid of one because they're, they're two of the almost same wide receivers, Chris Moore and Seth Roberts. I think you liked what you saw out of Seth Roberts at training camp. I did. We saw Seth Roberts pretty much beat Martin Marlon Humphrey. Right. And that was, I, I opened my eyes and looked at you. I was like, holy shit. Did we just see that? Right. 
Because this is a guy that's a little bit... I'm not going to necessarily call Roberts a veteran. Well, I, I mean, he's he been is, around for a few years, but he he's hasn't never been, been involved. A, he, he's the Chris Moore of the Raiders. Right. He's, he's never been a, you know, a stud. Right. But to come and burn Marlon Humphrey on a, on a, a one route, it was only one route we saw it, but to, to burn Marlon Humphrey the way that he did on a stutter step. Right. And then catch it in stride. We were just both like, holy shit, did we just see that? That was amazing. Yeah, and this was like the first time I'd actually questioned Chris Moore's roster spot. Like, I have been... You and I were high on Chris Moore for the I have weeks been prior. an advocate that I think Chris Moore just needs more of an opportunity, that I think he could do well in this offense. And I didn't know what to expect from Seth Roberts because... I didn't really know much about him other than what you can find statistically and all that stuff. But what I liked are the two things that stood out to me about Seth Roberts in training camp. One is he is as advertised as far as his blocking ability for a yeah. wide receiver. And considering his size, that says something about this guy's heart and his toughness. I like that. He about keeps him. it physical. Yeah. I like that about him. And then the other thing was they've only been in training camp for now a couple of weeks and him and Lamar have a connection. Yeah, I feel like Lamar knows where he's going to be, can get him the ball in tight spaces, and Seth can find those holes and sit down, and, and Lamar finds him. And I like that, especially this soon. And Lamar's going to find guys with good hands. That's why he's been hitting Wesley when he has been. That's why he's been hitting Boykin. That's why he's been hitting Roberts. So I agree. I mean, is, is, he, your, is he your fifth or sixth wide receiver? I need to see the preseason. I need to okay. see at least two games of preseason before I'll make that call. I did think, again, prior to you know training camp, that there was no way Chris Moore didn't make this roster. I actually question it now. Real quick question for you. We've talked about this fast pace, the speed of this offense. Right. What happens first? The speed kills the defenses or the speed kills this offense? And somebody gets hurt. And what I mean by that is, Multi one major or multiple injuries wind up de you know debilitating this offense. Oh, absolutely! You're always an injury away from mortgaging your season. That's that's a given, really, in any given year. Uh, but I think speed doesn't win you football games. It's a hell of an attribute. It's a hell of a, a trait to have on your football team. But you've got to have the smarts. You've got to have the complete package. You've got to have the right offensive linemen that are blocking for the right routes. You've got to have the right combination of wide receivers that are blocking for those wide receivers that are in space and your running backs that are in space. So it's all collective. But okay. I think this offensive scheme could be very dangerous, and I think we have a lot of pieces that complement this offensive scheme very nicely. I, yeah, I guess the, the reason I asked that question is what came to mind is we got a lot of fast guys. Yeah, a few of them with smaller builds. We've talked about that, mm -hmm. uh, and that's cause for concern for injury. And then you got guys like uh, Hollywood coming off the injury. So I guess I just I worry that the, it, it's too fast paced, and then I also worry that it's too fast paced for the linemen. I'm worried that that is it too fast paced for them that we we see. You know, I, I'm really hopeful with what we talked with Wiscura. I don't, but I, I'm worried about not just the injuries for the offensive linemen. But and rolling ankles because it's real easy to roll your ankle as an offensive lineman. Right. But I'm also worried about the penalties for the offensive line. And that that was concerning to me because that was one of the glaring issues. And we'll talk a little bit about the offensive line now. So one of the glaring things that I noticed in training camp was there was a lot of false starts. There were a lot of penalties. And I think that was part of 
Harbaugh's biggest frustration is those mental mistakes. Those are things that will cost you a football game. They will cost you field position, and that field possession could be the difference in whether you win or lose a football game. So that's critical with this offensive line. They absolutely have to clean that up. Now, there were some question marks going into this year. Who was going to start at left guard? Who was going to start at center? You know, well, we that, talked. that got semi-answered. <laughs> well, it, it kind of cleared a small path, and I think it helps us get a better understanding of where some of these other guys are sitting as the Ravens end up trading uh, injury-plagued guard Alex Lewis to the Jets, and they end up getting a conditional seventh-round draft pick back, which – I would have traded him for a bucket of footballs. Wouldn't have mattered. I'd just get him off the roster. Right. In my opinion, like the guy, I like the guy. I like the person. He's been a great cheerleader on the sideline because that's basically where he's been his entire career. He's been hurt. Outside of that, uh, he hasn't really been very good when he's had the chance to play. So clear the room. And if they do that, and they did, that speaks to me. That speaks volumes of what they think of the rookie, Ben Powers, yeah. and what they think of second-year guard center, Bradley Bozeman. They obviously think enough of them to be able to move a piece like Alex Lewis. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it shows a lot of what they can do. I still think from what we've seen, we saw Bozeman jumping a few times at, yeah. at practice. Uh, I liked what I saw from Skura. You know, we got to talk to him, and I, I was I was critical of him during you know our discussion with him uh, of, of some things that we saw. We've been critical in the past. And I was critical of him watching him during that training camp session. Right. I was happy with what I saw. Agreed. He wasn't he wasn't the one jumping. He had good counts. He had good snaps. I didn't see him, you know, Bozeman put one over McSorley's head once. Right. Um, he he had good solid snaps. Timing was good. Blocking was good from what we could see. Um, he looks to be in good physical shape and healthy. So I, I don't think Bozeman is is in line for the center spot. I think that's locked up by Skur at this point. Uh, so I think if you're using Bo Bozeman, it's going to be to fill that guard spot um, at left guard that, that you're, you think you can fill maybe a tag team effort between Powers and Bozeman. Well, there's that, and then it also depends what happens at right tackle. And I think that was kind of the the biggest surprise with me of this offensive line was when we went to training camp. Orlando Brown Jr. <sighs> he had some struggles, man. He, he, he wasn't even lined up with the ones. He was lined up with the twos. He wasn't even playing on the starting offensive line. Now, granted – he had just basically come back from passing his conditioning test, so he's still kind of working into getting into right. football shape. But he looked lazy. Um, he looked slow. His feet looked slow. He was getting beat around the edge. There were definitely some some areas of concern there. It, it was still early in practice, and I hadn't seen it as much in these last two practices with the Jaguars, so I'm seeing some improvement there. But I thought it was telling to not see him out there with the ones because – if he's not running with the ones, more than likely that means James Hurst is going to be your starting right tackle. If they move Orlando Brown Jr. back to the starting right tackle position, then we could see James Hurst move over to left guard, which is his better of the two evils, I think, because he's really not a very good Do you think this is another situation either. that they're getting on Orlando for? I mean, we saw some of the some of the issues, but is it? Because of the play calling, him not knowing the playbook, and no, blah, blah. I, we're beyond that now. I, I don't so? think it has anything to do with the play calling. Like I said, I honestly, in this, you know, I'm a big Orlando Brown Jr. fan. 
and what he was able to do in his rookie year, you and I were calling for him to start the season. Week one, we were saying, where is he at? Why isn't he out here? I'm a big Orlando Brown Jr. fan, and when he came in and actually started starting, I mean, he put up the numbers. He didn't give up a sack. But in practice, granted, it was his first practice, he looked slow. He looked out of shape. Part of why he probably failed his conditioning (laughs) test. So it's going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed, and hopefully that was just... A day, a bad day, and we'll see the Orlando Brown Jr. we saw last year. Yeah. Uh, there, before we kind of move on there to the the Hall of Fame induction piece, there was one other guy that's getting, been getting actually moving into national attention now for the Ravens with how impressive he's been. What have you seen that Chris Board deserves all this attention that he's been getting? He's out playing Kenny Young. Agreed. Simply, simply put, I mean. Peanut is going to be your starter at middle linebacker. And then the other position is open, which was supposed to be filled by Kenny Young. But Chris Board has just outplayed him every practice. He looks faster. He looks better against the run, which obviously that's the biggest concern with this middle linebacker core is who's going to fill that run-stuffing linebacker position that C.J. Mosley you know, left a void for. Right we will absolutely see better pass coverage protection out of all three of these guys than we got out of Chris, uh, out of uh, Mosley. Yeah. But I do think Board has a legitimate shot at starting week one right next to Peanut. I, I, think, I think I agree with you. At the, at the absolute minimum, he is making this roster, period. Oh, no, no, no doubt. No doubt at this point. I'm telling you, I think he's starting. Okay. If, it, if I had to choose today... Him over Kenny Young, 100%, 100 times out of 100, I'm picking Chris Board. Okay. Just based on how they performed in training camp and practice and, so far. And Wink has kind of kind of hinted to that fact that he thinks that, that Board ha- has outperformed Kenny Young. And kind of, it's this is, this is Kenny Young's to lose right now. Agreed. And, you know, I will say this. There's a lot of speed at that position right now. But speed, again, doesn't mean everything. And Board just looks like the better player. Agreed. Agreed. So I know there was some big news this week. Another one of our all-time greats got inducted into the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame Ed Reed. Yeah, first man. ballot Hall of Famer. We talked about this uh, a couple months ago when uh, they made the announcement. He was one of the or he was the fastest to be voted. Um, yeah, you know, I think it was like what do they say, like twenty two, seconds or something. Or well, I think less, it was like two minutes. Or less something than like that. two minutes, they made the decision, the unanimous decision that he was going to be elect in, inducted. Um, what surprised me was that uh, did you know his speech went longer than Ray Lewis's? Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise. Out of wow. all, oh, no, that, that, that shock. Watching me. it, it doesn't surprise me. Okay. If I would have guessed beforehand, no, I wouldn't have said his speech. Hell no. I would have thought Ray Lewis's record would stand forever. I I would like to know what the over under would have been on. that. Yeah, right. I definitely (laughs) would have bet the under would have lost a lot of money on that. Yeah, no. Uh, But let's talk about his bust for a second. What did you think of that bust? Money. I thought it was, I, in my opinion, it's the best looking bust or the most comparable bust that I've ever seen. You want to know what's funny? I completely disagreed when I looked at it straight on, the second, and you'll see it up here above me, the second that they turned that bus and they gave me the angle from the side next to him, I was like, spot on. 
head on, I was like, no, I don't like it. I, I don't feel like, like it. a lot of people had that same reaction when they saw Ray Lewis's. Now I will say Ray Lewis's wasn't the greatest. It was a young Ray Lewis. It was. It was, it was very, young, very young. It was Ray. a young Ray Lewis. And when you fir- again, when you first looked at it, like you had said, straight on, under the light, the way the light hit it, it didn't look like Ray Lewis at all. But once you saw other angles and other pictures, it definitely looked it got more better. Like- Ed Reed for me, I don't care what angle I've seen at it. That's him, bro. That's like the hair on it, the details in the in the goatee, like the whole nine. That is Ed Reed. When they when they the reason I said it was I thought it was a little like flat faced when I first looked at it. When they when they gave me the head on version, I'm like, ah, it looks bad. Like it looks like it, it looked like his afro was more prominent than the rest <laughs> of his head. Uh, but then they turned oh, it to the side, and you really can see. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a good bust. I, you know, there were a lot of people that were giving crap, but I, and I started to, and then I saw the angle from the side. I loved it. By the way, small little piece that I loved out of this. I loved the wood brim hat that he had on. Oh yeah, it was, that's, <laughs> I love that. That's pretty dope. <laughs> and but, the giant cigar. <laughs> but here, you know, I gave you a lot of shit, and rightfully so, because during episode one hundred at Pizza John's. You had a little foul up. I did. What was that foul up? Belichick. Yeah. yeah. Ed Brian. Reed. <laughs> Ed Reed, of all people, had the same foul up during his <laughs> Hall of Fame speech by referring to Brian Billick as Bill Belichick. Even Harbaugh, it was priceless. So Ed Reed's going through his whole thank yous to the Ravens and the Ravens organization, and he gets to the coaching staffs, and he says, Bill Belichick and his coaching staff, John Harbaugh and his coaching staff, and they shoot to John Harbaugh right as he says John Harbaugh, but you could still see the reaction that he had on his face for when he said Bill Belichick, and it was freaking great. So what you're saying is, I'm going to the Hall of Fame, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) The Hall of Fame of all slip-ups, because it was... It was a it was classic, epic. man. It was, it was hey, a classic. I am happy to be spoken in the same words as Ed Reed. Okay? <laughs> That'll I'll be the one it. and only time. The one and only time. And I, I mean, I'm snipping that clip for the next next live episode we have. <laughs> but, you know, you, you had mentioned off the air, uh, John Eisenberg uh, had made some comments that we as Ravens fans really didn't value Ed Reed, and we kind of took Ed Reed for granted for what he is. And I'll tell you, John... You must not know me because Ed Reed, for me, is my greatest Raven of all time, even over Ray Lewis. I respect the hell out of Ray Lewis. But what Ed Reed was was able to bring to this team f- all from all aspects, his leadership ability, his ability to make other players in the secondary better, uh, his uncanniness to just be able to kind of manipulate quarterbacks into kind of doing what he wants them to do so he could get a jump on. There's nobody, nobody in this league ever. Now, Ronnie Lott, I was a huge 49ers fan, and even Ed Reed made comment of, of Ronnie right, Lott in right. his uh, speech. Huge 49ers fan growing up because I didn't have a team here. We didn't have the Ravens at that point, and I've, I rooted for the 49ers back then. I was a huge Ronnie, Ronnie Lott fan. Still, Ed Reed is it for me, and it's not just because – I'm a Ravens fan. Like he legitimately for me is the best, not just safety, the def- the best defensive player in my opinion to ever play. So I think I think a lot of people are all thinking along the same lines as you. But I think what Eisenberg's point with this was was a very similar um, feeling esque situation of what we talked about previously with like Manny Machado for the Orioles. The guy is so good 
for so long that when you don't have him, you don't fully go back and go, wow, he was that good. There's a lot of Ravens fans that sit there and say, eh, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. No. There's a reason that the company down the road made a beer called Goat with Ed Reed's face on it. Right, right. Because he is potentially one of the greatest defensive players of all time. He Not put- potentially, he is. He is the greatest defensive player in NFL history, in my opinion. But if you don't at least have him in your top 10, you're an absolute oh, uh, idiot. Agreed, agreed. I think there's the reason I say that there's a toss-up, I still... We've had this argument before. We've had this discussion before. I still think there's a toss-up between him and Ray because it's it's a it's a one a one b situation. Because with one out one, I don't know that you can have the other. Without Ray Lewis there, I don't know that Ed Reed plays the way that he he does. Without Ray, without Ed Reed back behind him, I don't know that Ray Lewis they is able to play. One hundred percent agree with that. That they complemented each other well, and we were blessed. And as I, Ravens fans, to have both of them. But I think that's where Eisenberg was coming from in saying that, like, you take it for granted because now you look at a guy like Weddle. Weddle was previously, and he had some struggles, an above-average guy. Thomas is an above-average guy. We look at Reed. When you look at the stats on Reed, Reed's stats, he's, in a, he's playing a different game. Right. He's playing at a completely different level than everybody ever was. And I don't think any... Your average Ravens fan. You're not an average Ravens fan. I'm maybe a little closer to an average Ravens fan, but still above it. Same with Brian. Your average Ravens fan doesn't get that, especially, sorry, millennials. You don't get it. <laughs> well, you know what really kind of summed it up for me? One, I mean, the guy had over 60-something interceptions in his career. It's an re- absolutely ridiculous number. But he, he made comment in his speech about it. He talked about the Browns, and he talked about the Bengals. And he had 30 <laughs> interceptions. I don't know if this stat is true, if he it was is. just pulling numbers out. He said he had 30 interceptions just between those two franchises alone. He says, not my fault you guys kept changing quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean. <laughs> and it's great. I mean, that, that just sums up Ed Reed, man. He just a class act. He was the, the, the ultimate professional. You know, we, um, I'm going to go off on a little rant here. So, so we watched, I think you had told me about it. There was an interview that Ed Reed did with uh, Joe Buck. Yes, on, uh, it was Undeniable. On Undeniable. And he kind of talked about the little things that players need God, to do. I love, I love that section of that. And he, yes. go, he goes into it. He starts talking about, like, just guys in the locker room picking up their towels and him yelling at guys to pick up their towels when the bin to is put two the towel feet away from you is two feet away. And why? Because he felt embarrassed for the volunteer firefighters to be coming in after them and picking up their dirty underwear and picking up their dirty towels. These guys are professional athletes. If you want to make your mark on this game and you want to be a winner and you want to get to the next level, it's about the small things. And it started with simple things like that yeah. for Ed Reed. And that just tells you more about the guy himself and and just how prideful he was to be in the position that he was. He did not take his opportunity for granted. He no. appreciated everything that he was given and the, all the opportunities that he was given. Uh, and from he, day one. From day one. And, and it's just, 
it's really a really cool story. This is a guy that was a two-star athlete in high school, was barely recruited by anybody, got his grades together thanks to the help of some people around his family and you know some friends in the neighborhood, put all the BS aside with all the drugs and all the bad shit that was going on in his neighborhood and focused on his studies and ended up getting a full ride to the University of Miami, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was a great story. I love – I'm so happy you brought that up because I love that interview. If you guys haven't seen that interview, it's on Audience. You can probably find it on YouTube. Uh, it's a great interview with Joe Buck on Undeniable with Ed Reed. He's done a, gr- a great deal of, of interviews, but that is probably – one of my all-time favorite interviews. Uh, the only other interview was the interview that he did this week, where he's wearing the ball hawk hat, pretty cool uh, hat, with the the bird, the old school Ravens right. bird spread wings, and it's the Maryland flag in it. Love it. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's brew of the week, and it's a pretty fancy one. It is very fancy. Uh, this week's brew of the week comes from Etchison Brewing Company. This is their fancy, clancy Pilsner. Love it. Love uh, it. If you guys have ever been to a nose game, you better know who the hell Clancy is. And if you, you don't know who Clancy is, you haven't been to enough Oreo games. <laughs> Tom Clancy? You're not an <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to throw my beer at him. <laughs> I'm about to throw my beer at him. I was that close. Right? I was that close. <laughs> oh, my wow, God. I almost got fired on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. Fancy Clancy has been serving the world's greatest fans, the Orioles fans, for over 45 years. Can you imagine how many beers this guy has slung? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of beers. You can't even... You can't even Class act, too, man. This guy, he earns every dollar in tips that he gets, man. Oh, yeah. Back when they had the twist tops, remember that little machine that he had yeah. that would like pull the tops yeah. off and everything? He had a yep. few of the guys that he had built them for. Uh, but this is Etchison's... Uh, this is their Fancy Clancy Pilsner, as I said. It's an American-style Pilsner that'll be a home run, all-around crowd-pleaser. Um, and as the man himself says, and he has says this, or he has said this, I've heard him say it. I don't know if you've heard him say this. I love this saying from him. If you want it fancy, you should drink Pilsner by Clancy. It's awesome, man. It, it, this guy, uh, I talked to him. I used to work in the airport, BWI, and I got the chance to talk to him for about, like, 40 to 45 minutes because he was on a delayed flight and I was working. I'd ran a, a Polk audio headphone store. Shout out to the guys at Polk audio ran a headphone store there. And he came in and I talked to him for about 45 minutes and, you know, I didn't want to talk Orioles at first because I thought he hears this, he hears this crap all the time. <laughs> like he's just, you know, he's going to, Oh God, here we go. But he just, I mean, he couldn't stop talking about it. Like that's oh. all he wanted to talk about was his job. And, like, all the people that he's met throughout his life being there. Like, people that are not just customers of his, that have become lifelong friends Yeah, I mean, he's... His. And you you could just hear, like, how how passionate he is about what he does. And it comes across, as simple as it is, he's a beer vendor at a baseball game. But he's... But he's the best at it. Yeah, I mean, he's an entertainer. He, lo- he loves people. He loves going out. Did you see he actually went out to Arizona? I did. Him and Adam, you know, yeah. hooking back up. That it was, was pretty great. cool. It was great to see. It's, it's kind of cool to see. But it, it's it's really cool for Edgerton to kind of do this with the Fancy Clancy. I think it's great. Uh, some of the local bars actually have the tap. I love the tap. It's actually 
a picture of him Clancy, like selling it's beer. Awesome. Uh, it's or not even pictures, a sculpture right. of him selling beer. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. So make sure you stop over at the liquor stop on Conowingo Road. Let Jerry know that we sent you here at Birdland BS and get your ten percent off. All right, man, it's time for some bros, bows, and O's. It's some fancy clancies and O's. <laughs> All right, man, so it's, it's been a couple weeks since we've talked to Orioles. There's been a lot kind of happening. Let's plow through some of the, I guess, the, the more bigger news that's been happening. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll go through some quick hits real quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, some quick hits. We got Chris Davis uh, in that Arizona series. <laughs> out of eight times, <laughs> he struck out eight times in nine at-bats in that series. <sighs> Has anything changed? Somebody pull the plug. Just just pull the plug. Can Touch, somebody just get a hold just, of can somebody just get a hold of, of uh I'm telling you this is how crazy Just how give me Elias's phone, I'll do it. You know, obviously we, it's it's been documented and, and we all know the medication that this guy takes. He's got mental issues. He's got mental block issues. And you can see how evident it is. It's like every time he gets real close to getting to that Mendoza line, two hundred, this is what happens. He goes out there and goes Eight for nine, eight for nine with eight strikeouts in a series. It's, it's like, just, yeah, I want to keep the record. Oh, <laughs> it's ridiculous, so frustrating. Man. But you know, a guy that's been pitching very well, and a guy that's been a big surprise to me. He's pitching tonight, I believe. Uh, Wojo Ashwash, had, yeah. had another hot start on Friday. Two runs on three hits through seven innings pitched. This is a guy that continues to develop, uh, develop, and get and really came out of nowhere for us. So, uh, I, hey. Kudos to Elias and seeing something in this guy. Yeah, well, something that he saw out of the first round draft pick, Adley Rutschman. Uh, finally, finally, he gets his first RBI in Aberdeen. Hey, it was nice congrats. to see, nice to hear. I tell you, I went to that game, the first game that he was. <laughs> that in was brutal. From what you were and saying, I'm like, please just get your first hit while I'm here. Yeah, he waited another like week and a half. Oh, for five, he went. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's had some hits, but he, this is five. his first RBI. So. All right, man. So <clears throat> a guy that I know you got a chance to see a little bit in Aberdeen as well as I did. I think Brian was there for that. Yep. Uh, the third round draft pick, Kyle Stowers. Yeah. This is a kid that when I was there, you could see the, the speed that he has. He's a hustler. He, you know, he doesn't he doesn't leg out, you know, f- ground balls and just kind of lollygag the first base. He's a guy that gets out of the box quick. Uh, he reads the ball pretty well in the outfield from what I could tell. Uh, but he gets his first home run this weekend in Aberdeen. Yeah, that was nice to see. Definitely nice to see. Uh, but the thing that was really cool uh, this this past weekend with the Orioles was the Anthony Santander fan club from across <laughs> the pond. The yeah. UK Brits have come to the Oriole Park and they like to they like to root for Anthony Santander. Oh man, it was awesome. Like it was 4,500 so, strong. It was so cool. And he looked like a little kid out there. Like, he's just smiling from Routine ear to fly ear. Ball. Yeah! Uh. Like, he just made the greatest catch in the world. Like, it was the end of the World <laughs> Series. Game seven, the third out. He just made it. But it happened multiple times during his game. It was it was it was really really cool to see. Uh, it obviously got national they, attention. They showed the ESPN. one girl who, like in between innings, went to the team store and bought an Anthony Santander <laughs> right. uh, jersey, and like they showed her put it on, and she's loving it. It was great. You know, it, I think it put a little bit of life in in the guys like that to see yeah. just something like that. That's what just shows you the the fans, and we're gonna get into it here in a little bit. The attendance and stuff like that. 
This is people that came across the country. Now, they're here. It's a, it was a scout group. Right. So they're here for multiple reasons. They said, you know what? Let's go to an Orioles game. And hell, let's cheer. And, and they these, loved it. And this, this is, these are people that are, like as you mentioned, f- from across the pond and another country that all they have to know about Baltimore is what they see and what they hear on TV. These people weren't scared to go downtown and watch the game. 4,500 people piled into the Get out of your effing house and get down there and watch and support your team. You don't want these Orioles to leave here out of Baltimore? Get down there and support your team. Don't give me the excuse that you're scared of what's going on downtown. None of that. There's plenty of ways to get down there and be safe. Just mind your P's and Q's. Get down there and have a good time. All right. Hang on a second. Before we jump into that, before we go down that rabbit hole, (laughs) uh, last thing was we had a guy... Made history, a little bit of history for the Yeah, a, a guy that really would have deserved the cheers that Santander was getting. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jonathan Villar, now a guy that <clears throat> this all happened in a loss, but nonetheless, he put up one hell of a night as he goes, f- was he four for five, I think, in that game, or five for five? Four for five? Uh, he, went, he went four for five. Four for five. He had two RBIs. He was the fifth Oriole to ever hit for the cycle. Can you name the other four? No. Uh, Felix P.A. Yes, that is correct. Jeffrey Hammond? No. Nope. Eight. Cal? Yeah. Okay. Brooks? Nope, neither of those. Wow. Boog? Not Murray. No way. wait. Boog Boog wasn't laying it out a triple. (laughs) You're kidding me. (laughs) You're kidding me. Boog hits the ball like that. He goes to first. He goes, I'm just staying here. That that was a Mack truck running around the base. Nope. Uh, BJ Serhoff. Uh, I believe he may have been one on the list. All right, Scott. God damn it. Just tell me who they are. Jesus. I, don't, I remember Felix. You don't know? You're going to ask me a question Brian, you don't even know the Brian's answer? Brian's got to look it up. I know, uh, that, I know that PA and Cal are He's just are over correct. here like, nope. Nope. He has no idea. I nope. know that those weren't names that were on there. I know Felix PA was the last one to do it. Correct. Before In, Villar. It was 2011 or 12. Yeah, it was 2011, I believe, that he, he was the last one to, to do it. And then Cal was before that. Um, and then I forget. I honestly forget who the other two guys were. Uh, but the fact that this guy's you know in here and he, he's the fifth guy to ever do it in Orioles history, it's great. We also had this past weekend, Anthony Santander uh, also hits the 100th ball. Onto Utah Street. Utah Street. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, so another situation. I saw a video today that was like ten minutes of just all those, all those hit, all but, those home runs. But another record that gets broken. Uh, I think it was was it last Thursday. Oh yeah, in a sixteen <laughs> inning game. Good old Stevie Wilkerson <laughs> comes the first position player to come in in a sixteen inning game and get the save. How does that happen? I don't know, because he was throwing Orphis pitches. I mean, they were just 50 mile an hour. By the way, Brooks and Aubrey Huff. So you, Aubrey you guys did say Brooks. Okay. But one of you guys said Brooks, so Brooks was on there, but it was Aubrey Huff was the other one. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean. The ha- Ephus pitch. <laughs> that wasn't an Ephus pitch. 
It like it had no movement. It was it. You know what it was? It was the you lob- could see Albert Pujols just like licking his chops. And- it was it was it was a lob pitch from Rookie of the Year. <laughs> it was exactly. the, After his arm floater. got corrected, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man! And now they they're out there. You guys see it up here in the corner. They're out here. Uh, John Means and Asher were Asher Waj were both out there uh, the other day in these Let Stevie pitch shirts. Oh, it's great! <laughs> it's perfect, man. I love, I love it. it. Uh, <laughs> But there was yet another record, and this record baffles me. It absolutely baffles me, and I'm a shout-out to uh, Joe Pa, who, if you guys don't know him on Twitter, go check him out, Joe Pa. Uh, he is somebody that does uh, a lot of producing and, and stat work for uh, Masson. Yeah. He is actually he's actually Brian's cousin. You um, got it. There's a relation there. Right. Um, but he... he actually did the 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 comparison on this and i was like this is perfect that i got i got to cannot share that and can't not share this so last saturday they set the record for 10 straight multi-home run games by a team it ended there because they didn't hit any on sunday at all but how the hell does this ragtag team do it before this year's twins who have been the bombers like crazy right the bronx bombers back in the day or even now or the 96 Orioles that we talked about that had 20 home, or what, six guys that had 20 home runs apiece. How well, does that not happen? Well, it's for a couple of things. One, if we're just talking about this roster in itself, the one thing that we really don't question much with this roster is, is their ability to hit the long ball. They might not hit it consistently. They might not hit for high average, but they do tend to hit a decent amount of home runs. The other thing is we're also playing in the juiced ball error so that could be part of it as well some of these guys that normally would have hit fly balls to the outfield well they go they go an extra 10 or 20 feet and now they're home runs so there's a couple of them i'm not trying to downplay it it's a hell of a stat sounds like you are <laughs> to be able to hit multiple home runs in 10 consecutive games obviously nobody else has been able to do it it's a it's a hell of a feat you're right i mean th- this twins team that's out here this year is ridiculous with the way they're hitting the ball the, the Yankees for decades, I mean, they, there's any I mean, one how, of the yeah. rosters could have done it. How many years did we see the Bronx Bombers, you know, going over? And not just, not just, I'm not just talking about over the, the past few years. I'm talking the Bronx Bombers back in the day. Right. Or even like the Colorado Rockies back in the day. I'm talking like the, the Dante Bichette yeah. days, the Andres Galarraga days, you know, all those guys back in the day in the thin air of, of Denver, Colorado. <laughs> you would have thought somebody like that may have done it but no nope. you'd have thought but it didn't the happen 2019 baltimore <laughs> orioles who Woo! who are no longer in uh in position for the worst record right now because the tigers seem to take that over yeah so i was gonna bring that up and i, and I wanted to get your take on this so we've obviously known for a long time now that this team was not going to be competing this year and you know we did want to see some improvements and i think in a lot of ways as an organization we have seen improvements we've absolutely seen improvements in what we got out of the draft the international signings even some of the trades that have kind of worked out better you posted for us. it on twitter we went from 22nd to 8th in prosper in uh, the the uh, minor league system yeah exactly so we've seen some big strides from an organizational standpoint one of the luxuries that we had this year was obviously having the number one overall draft pick this year, having Adley Rutschman, really having the choice of whoever the hell we wanted. It was long debated whether it was going to be Adley Rutschman or Bobby Witt Jr., who ended up going to uh, Kansas City at pick two. So here we are in position, uh, no better than we were last year as far as record goes. So 
Are you upset that the Orioles do not hold the number one overall draft pick if season ended right now? No. No, not at all. And why? Because I know with whatever pick that we have, I'm going to trust in Elias at this point. I've seen a lot of things that we've seen positive out of Elias. The, the, biggest, the biggest thing out of Elias that we've seen that's, that's pissing everybody off is the Davis situation. But I think he's handcuffed there. Right. Otherwise, he's been making some pretty decent moves. You know, he, he's been going, letting some guys go. Look, I question the Cashner thing still. I, I still think there's a handshake thing that he's coming back. You would. But outside of that, he's been making good moves. He made good picks in the draft. They're panning out well so far. I think we continue to see that move. And I think we continue to see the international signings as we move forward. I think whatever pick, even if we're second pick, second pick, you're still going to pick the best guy on the board. Yeah. Or the best guy that you feel is on the board. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty sweet, though, having the pick of the litter. And being able to go after whoever you want. But, so I, but I will, sometimes the number one pick, we've we've seen it not work out because sometimes the well, number one pick is too much pressure about, on the guy. You could say any, about that with any top-round picks. I mean, any top ten picks. But, the Orioles are going to finish in the top five but there is, regardless. There is, a, there is a great drop-off in the pressure on a number one pick versus a number two pick. Period. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, here's the deal. They're going to get a great player, whether yes. it's number one, number two, or number three. I think you hit the nail on the head. Have a little faith in Michael Elias. He's obviously done a really good job in his first year there when he's been pinned against the wall pretty much. He's been put in a situation where it can't get much worse than it already was, and he's done a lot in his short period of time. And again, a lot of this stuff with the international st- International scouting, it's about building relationships. You can't just go into Dominican and expect to be, you know, the king of the hill and, and start getting all the top tier prospects. You got to build those relationships. That takes time. And for him to be able to do what he did in year one, very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've loved it. I've, I've loved what I've seen. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm really not concerned. We'll touch on it because we can't go down this rabbit hole. We don't have the time for this. Uh, <laughs> lack of attendance. Do you think Baltimore is still a baseball town? I do, but I think we are a town of Fairweather fans, and I hate that because um, I'm not a Fairweather fan. You know, I'm going to go out there and support my team, win, lose, or draw. Like, I, I've always been that way, and maybe that's because I came up in a time where I saw winning baseball, and then I saw a long stretch of losing baseball, and then I saw some winning baseball again. So I know the ebb and flows of the game. A lot of these guys that had just come up, or, you know, are just now kind of getting exposure. Either they they're too young and all they know is winning baseball, and now they're dealing with the the worst of the worst, and they're like, oh, screw this, I can't support this. Or they went through just that long stretch of losing that fourteen years or whatever it was. They got a little bit of taste of of winning, and they're like, oh, I don't want to go down another fourteen year rabbit hole again, and 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 suck again. So I do think Baltimore can be a baseball town again. Evidence of that was that five-year stretch of how yeah. good we did. That Delman-Young game still gives me chills when I think about it. Like, it wasn't just a game. Like, it wasn't just a bunch of freaking 
business people in suits that were there cheering because they had, you know, they paid for tickets. That's what this town is built around. They're they're a fan base that likes a winning product. And if you don't put a winning product out there, they're just not going to support the team. And that sucks. I still think Baltimore is a baseball town. My only and and I shouldn't say only thing, but my biggest thing regarding this whole this whole situation, I'm going to give give me a second for, to rant here is when you look at this overall product for baseball, not just the Orioles, baseball is seeing a drop in attendance. Have either of you watched a Yankees game recently at home? They're killing it. They're 13 games above Boston, and they're killing it. There's nobody in the stands in in Yankee Stadium. Oh, come October, there will be. Because that's when it matters. Right. And that's that's I guess And also you're talking about the Yankees who that billion dollar stadium, it's like four hundred dollars for a ticket. Their, their ticket prices are ridiculous. Uh, agreed, but it's if that were the only thing I'm not saying it's the only thing, I'm just saying it's part of it. Th- there's it's the decline across the board. You got yeah. teams like, you know, the Angels are kind of struggling. That's been a town that's that's always been there for the Angels. Right. They're struggling. People aren't showing up. I don't think it has a lot to do with people, you know, not being still being baseball. I think there's so many other. We've talked about it before. There's so many other platforms. Yeah. Um. I while I don't agree with it, I'm on the same thing as you. Get the hell out to the ballpark anytime that you can. Get out there. Go enjoy. Support it. your team. Have fun. They've they've made it so affordable now. It's ridiculous. Yep. Um. But my whole point is, I think there's other reasons for it that it seems like it's not a baseball town. I think it still is a baseball town. I think it still always will be a baseball town. But I just think it's the the wrong set of circumstances at the wrong time. Hi, right, Brian. It's time for our social media shout out. Who's been out there? Who's been commenting? Any good uh, questions or anything? All right, so let's run this down. So I got Sherry, Bryce, uh, SZG Sports, Kamal, Deshaun, uh, Shellentel. Hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> what up, Brian? Uh, Gardet. <laughs> Uh, Troy and Sang. So that's who I got out there commenting Appreciate you all following. Thanks for uh, tuning and in, Sherry. So I'm going to keep the comments down a little bit just to save them a little bit of time here. Yeah. So uh, Samuel L. brought up a good point. How does uh, Pierce look at training cramp? I know he's been he, kind of a source of a little bit of a controversy look here. Better. He, he looks better, but he, he's still heavy. He's still... He's a butterball that can move. <laughs> I would say he, he still needs to drop about 20, 25 pounds. Um, what was the final call? Did he he wound up dropping 30 pounds? I think it was 30 or 35. That's what the rumors were. Like I mean, that, yeah. like I said, there were rumors out there that he was north of 400 pounds at one point. So I don't know. He To me, just looking at him, he's always been a bigger guy, and he's always been one of those guys that just kind of looks out of shape, but he still needs to drop 20, 25 pounds, in my opinion. All right, so a yes or no answer from you guys. So Garnett brought up the point about um, Boinkin. Is he the one to break the curse of the big body wide receivers for here in Baltimore? Yes. yes. Awesome. That was an easy unanimous. <laughs> wow. Easy that, unanimous. Was, that was quicker than 100%. what I anticipated. 100%. The only thing that... Oh, I'm not even going to bring it up. <laughs> not, not, not even going down that road. Not even going to say real, it. Real quick, uh, and I, I brought up Joe Pa uh, and Shalatel Ryan. You, you, you yeah, called it out. it, man. Uh, you called it out. Uh, Joe Pa and his wife, Adrian, uh, shout out to them. They just had a baby uh, last week. Oh, uh, nice. Joseph, end of last week. Joseph Philip Paparato. Yes. Awesome, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. So I know he watches the show every once in a while. Yeah. So mm-hmm. ho- hope he's watching for us tonight. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> he's probably not watching because he's got a baby he's got to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were watching and you were happy with the way the show was going, you may want to turn it off now. 
Because we got some depressing <sighs> Terps news to talk about. Not good. Uh, we'll as see there if Ryan some, stays on for yeah, this. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I'm <laughs> no, sure Ryan's he's going to be start engaged. Crying. Now, we, 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 I texted him earlier about this, but uh, in breaking news uh, earlier today, Terps sophomore wide receiver Jason Jones ended up tearing his ACL and is out for the rest of the season. This is a guy that, as a freshman, took the you know took the the scene the 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 team by storm. Yeah. In the beginning of the year against Texas, he scored three touchdowns in his first three touches, um, all three different ways: throwing the ball, running the ball, catching the ball. Um, led the team in touchdowns as a freshman. Was second in receptions and yardage. I mean, this guy was poised to do big things this year. This is a big, big blow. Huge first. loss. I mean, he was. I mean, you said it. He led the team in TDs. He had. He was second in the catches and the yards. And that's just when you have a guy that is is performing that high as a freshman. It's it's undervalued, in my opinion, in, in the NCAA to come in and do that as a freshman. In right. the to to be a starter as a freshman. Oh, Let yeah, alone lead the team as a freshman. Right. It's just, you look at that and you go, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, the guy last year, you know, DJ Moore had left. Yeah. And, you know, we had started talking about who might be the replacement for him. And DJ Turner was the guy that I think everybody kind of turned to and hoped would be the next, the next DJ Moore. Wasn't. Had a pretty disappointing year last year all things considered, but then a guy like Jason Jones just kind of explodes onto the scene. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, shout out to Jason, get healthy, get back. We're all going to be rooting for you in 2020. Uh, feel bad for you, brother. It's, it's, it's a bad way for your season. The entire Terp nation is behind him and showing them support. It's been great to see, uh, you talked about, you know, him, you know, he obviously was a big impact player last year, but we've got some guys that could be, um, you know, to your point, we were talking off air. These guys could be some potential big impact transfers. Yeah. So, on. I mean, the, the big theme with Mike Loxley so far this year is he was kind of behind the eight ball as far as recruiting standpoint went. Uh, he's got to, you know, kind of rekindle some of the relationships that he had here, rekindle some people's feelings about the university as a whole. Um, you know, he's also got to get some of the relationships that he then tied to Alabama and some of these other schools out there from his time there, he's got to bring those guys back on board with Maryland that the only way he was going to be able to overcome the first year struggles of kind of rekindling all that was to get some prominent big name transfers. And he was able to do that. We'll start on the offensive side uh, the big name that everybody's kind of talking about now, now that practice has started and we've kind of seen a little bit of what he looks like is graduate transfer quarterback Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, Ryan and I went to spring practice and we were kind of wondering who was going to end up starting week one. Uh, you know, Terrell Pigram is probably the guy you would first think just because he was a starter last year. Um you know, he's got, I guess, the most experience out of some of these guys. But um, Tyler DeSue was a guy that him and I both left there very impressed with. Yeah, you guys were, you guys were high on him. You could, both of you guys were talking nonstop about him. I'm like, all right. Oh. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't know what to expect out of this kid at all because I didn't really know much about him. But, I mean, he, he was everything that you would want in a quarterback. Now, granted, it's a small sample size. You know, it was just a spring practice. But 
you bring in a guy like Josh Jackson out of Virginia Tech, you don't bring him in to sit. No, he's really coming into play. He's coming into play. And now that I've seen him kind of throwing the ball around a little bit, I see why Loxley went after this guy. Yeah, I mean, you you were talking about it, and we've seen some of the the little bit of videos that have come out of him throwing. There haven't been very many. Uh, nice, clean ball. Yeah. Drop back looks good. His reads are good. I, I really, this could be a huge impact transfer. And, and, you know, another guy that in Mabry coming out of Buffalo. Yeah, this is a guy who, he's a physical specimen. If you see this guy, I mean, he is, he's kind of got that almost like a Tony Gonzalez type look to him. I'm not going to compare him skill set wise to Tony Gonzalez. We're talking about a, a transfer tight end from the University of Buffalo. But this guy's got all the size. He's got the physical, you know, build what of what looks like he could be a really, really good target at the tight end position. And what Ryan and I saw when we were at that spring game was the involvement in the tight end, something that really hasn't been a part of the Maryland offense really since the Vernon Davis days. We haven't really seen a tight end kind of heavy offense or a tight right. end stand out. I think this kid can come in and really make an impact on this offense. Now we talked about a guy, you know, like Jay Sean Jones going down a guy that comes in another transfer from Virginia tech, Sean Savoy, we had talked about him on Shell and Town. We talked about him a couple weeks ago on this show. There was a lot of question marks as to where he was going to play. You know, we we saw him one week lined up as a wide receiver, and then the next week he's on the website listed as a DB, and then right. boom, he's back to wide receiver. I think now with Jayshon Jones going down with this injury, if Josh Jackson is going to be your starter – him already having that relationship with Sean Savoy being with their time together. Yeah, in it's Virginia a no Tech, brainer at that point. It's a no brainer. It makes too much sense for him to not fill that void or at least get a little bit more involved in the offense more so than maybe he would have been had Jay Sean Jones been healthy. Um, so we may see those two guys and, and chemistry can go a long way. Chemistry is huge. We've talked about it. I mean, we talked about it on the Raven side of things with, with Lamar. Uh, and that's one of the things that you look at when you're looking at these guys that have a relationship previously, anything that you can help them, that can help develop them as individuals and as a team that you, you want to feed into that. And that's what Lox is seems to be doing. He seems to, to recognize that and say, you know what? Let's make it happen. And the the move of pulling him back into that wide receiver core and not leaving him on the DB side of things, right? I think is smart. It makes sense. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what he winds up doing. I'm also excited to see the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, this is kind of where I'm a little excited. So the one position that we were kind of thin on going into this year was going to be the linebacker position. Uh, you know, we obviously lost Trey Watson to the NFL draft and, you know, we didn't really have a lot of younger guys that were ready to step up in a prominent role, but we went out, Loxley went out and got a couple of transfers from some big name colleges. He ends up getting Shaq Smith from Clemson. Yeah. Uh, who's going to come in and be a starter day one guy. That's another local guy has ties to the universe or has ties to Maryland. So, this could be a big get for them. Then the other guy that we were kind of like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to get his waiver granted? Finally, they end up granting him his transfer waiver, and that's linebacker Keandre Jones out of Ohio State. 
Now, we talked about Shaq Smith coming from Clemson. Obviously, Clemson's been in the last two national championships going against Alabama. We talk about Keandre Jones coming from Ohio State, the Ohio State. The only Ohio State. <laughs> Team that I grew up watching. Um, you know, they these are two big gets for this team on a team that, again, had a lot of questions at linebacker that I think these two guys can come in and fill the void. I think you're absolutely right. That's why I'm excited to see the the defense as a whole. We've talked about, you know, the, the loss at safety, but the, the gain at the linebacker position, I think it makes sense. I like the fill. I think this defense continues to do well. While it was a high-scoring game against Ohio State, right. uh, I think ultimately this this will help to limit these two guys in, in their pass coverage, in their uh, their run in their run um, run defense, run defense. Sorry, will will really sol- help to solidify this defense a little bit more. So I think to your point, these guys, these two guys coming in and coming from ranked teams is going to play a huge role. Not just ranked, but two prominently ranked teams. Yeah, I mean, they're bowl teams, period. Two of the best colleges in, in, really in the nation. And now the thing like that we talked about with Loxley is the struggles that he had, obviously, year one, because he's up against the, you know, his, his back's against the wall as far as recruiting. He's got to come in in a very short t- period of time and try to get some guys to transfer. Well, now he's already kind of started on the 20 and 20 class and the 2021 class, and over the past weekend, they ended up doing a recruit-only barbecue on campus, which I thought was really cool. You know, a good way to get the kids involved, get to know each other. Get some on campus, get to know the campus. Exactly. And, and you know, they brought in all the big guys. They brought in Ruben Hypolite, who we've been really high on, and yeah. he's getting a ton of national, national coverage attention yeah. right now. This is a kid that he's that freak of nature athlete. You remember that kid that played – for I think it was Baylor that he had the pictures that were going around where his shirt was up and he just I mean he had a 12 pack I mean he had muscles in every (laughs) which way that's what this kid reminds me of and let's not kid ourselves he's still in high school right you know I mean this kid is just going to get bigger and stronger and faster he's he's beast mode and he hasn't even developed and he's got a work ethic like none other and well, we saw just, we saw Ryan's attempt at a to mimic his workout that oh, he threw on the beach. It was a masterpiece, <laughs> Ryan. Glistening, the sun was glistening off of you. Yeah, I mean he's uh, a, he's a guy to your point that I think brings it because of the national attention. I did hear some, you know, there was some chirping going on of like, okay, is he gonna? Is there a potential for him to decommit? Well, there's always the potential for that. There but is, but I think he's too sold on what Lox re- is doing here. One hundred percent agree. I, I just listening to. The way he tweets and some of the things that he says and him trying to get other people on board. Another guy that was at this cookout was, depending upon where you look, sometimes some people have him rated as a three-star, some people have him rated as a four-star. Wide receiver Dijon McDougal. Um, well, he not only attended the barbecue, but decided to – he's going to stick around for a little while. as He announced his 2020 class commitment – this is a kid, another wide receiver coming from the from Florida. Yeah, you know, a bed that we don't typically pull too many, you know, too many transfers from. No, transfers, a lot of those guys are going. From. A lot of those guys are going to to programs like Florida, UCF, Florida Miami, State. Florida State. Yeah. yeah, there's there's plenty of good programs down there. For, so for him to make the trek up to Maryland, it's big. That's a huge get for Locks, and that's just it's that whole situation. You hope a guy like like him. 
that he pulls in at Cross, and he starts talking to his buddies down in Florida going, hey, get up here to Maryland. Get up here. And I tell you, as much as, you know, this is going to make me sound old, but as much as. You are old, not sound old. (laughs) Easy. As much as social media can do so much bad uh, in so many ways, like this is one tool that I love as a recruiting tool for college players. I mean, because these millennials and these younger kids, that's all they know is, is if they're not practicing, they've got their phone in front of their face. So guys like Nick cross and these guys, McDougal, so guys that are adamant and prominent on social media. I like it. So just to clarify to, to kind of give a, uh, a reference on that statement, if you will, uh, you're not the get off my lawn guy. No, you're the, Come into my van. I have candy. Yeah, I'm the baby uh, Ruth guy. Sh- okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the baby Ruth guy. All right. No. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Scott. It's time for this week's Good, Bad, and Ugly. We are running over here, man. We, we are a way lot, over. <laughs> a lot to cover. So we'll try to plow through these kind of quick. I know you had kind of a, uh, a funny story. <laughs> Uh, about a quarterback in the AFC North. Yeah, everybody's heard it. Everybody's seen it. Uh, it. It hurts to do, but the good goes to Baker Mayfield this past week. Not once, but twice. The first one was that he, I don't know, it's actually the second one, but the, the did you see the video of him chugging the beer? With the 80s porn stash? Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah that porn stash. Well, he's chugging the beer at, at the Indians, and then the Indians actually tweeted, and they were acting like they were Colin Coward because Coward keeps giving Baker crap. And they're that. like, I don't want my quarterback to be out of game drinking beers and chugging beers. <laughs> and so Colin apparently went off on that today and was like, oh, I'm not like that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, get out of here. But, yeah, he is totally like that. <laughs> but not only does he do that, but he nails an interview question was that was asked good. him. This was pretty good. I'm just going to let him get asked and let you guys hear it for yourself. You seem to be having fun on camera a couple of times with the, the mustache. Is there a story behind Maybe you'll find out. Maybe you won't. I don't know. <laughs> That's the elegance of having a mustache. You just don't know what's going to happen. No kind of bed or quarterback bonding or anything like that? It's like the QBRV. You guys just don't know. During and any films in the future. You would like that, wouldn't you, Tom? <laughs> that was just too perfect, man. It was oh, too man. perfect not to share. That was a good. It was a good burn on him. It was good him being out in the community chugging you know, a beer. As, I love it as much as he's on our rivals team. I like Baker. There's something about him. He just grows on you yeah, a little bit. There's just something about him that I like. I, I don't know. It, it, he's gonna piss me off it, it, during <laughs> yeah. football season. He's gonna hurt my feelings. The cockiness but, pisses you off a little bit, but did you look at it and you're like, all right. All there's right, just you're something cool. about him I like. But all right, so this week's bad. I really should give this to you. Oh no 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 no. This no, goes no. to your boy. Uh-oh. Tim Tebow <laughs> Uh-oh. and the Mets, more so the Mets, because Tebow's not doing anything down there that I didn't expect. He sucks. He's not a major league baseball player. He's a single A, double A player at absolute best, and it's showing. Right this, now. This guy in close to 80 games with Syracuse at triple A, mind you, is now batting 163 with four home runs, 19 RBIs, and 98 strikeouts in 80 games. His OPS, 495. He's 239 points lower than it was in 2018 when he was at double A. There's absolutely no reason 
for this guy to be at AAA right now, other than a media circus and other than trying to sell jerseys, kiss babies, you know, <laughs> shake hands. Like, that's really I'll, the only thing Tebow's there for. Look, I'll, I'll give it to you. I think he he's progressed, but I'm not going to say he's progressed. not. Progressed? Regressed? Would you let me finish my statement? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you two. <laughs> He's progressed to a point to be in double A. A holes. That's what I said. Single A, double A at absolute uh, best. Agreed. But what my point is, is he's not, you know, this is not a number one round pick. This is not an Adley Rushman that you're trying to get up. This is not that type of situation. I agree with you. Are they bringing him up for that reason? 100%. It's the Mets. They got nothing else to be happy about right now. Why not bring him up? But... Wait a minute, I, they just traded for Marcus Stroman. They're making a playoff run. <laughs> why don't you rephrase why don't you say that name again? Marcus Stroman. What'd I say? You did. Okay. But you act like he's a big name player. I mean, he's a pretty darn good pitcher. It's Marcus fucking Stroman. It's a pretty darn good pitcher. What's he done lately? Pitch pretty darn good. Exactly. You have no fucking clue. I have clue. no idea. But nonetheless, <laughs> the Mets are in position for a playoff run. Tim Tebow, the only way he's a part of that is if the media wants to sell some jerseys. Yeah, that's now, it. Look, uh, he's, that's he's not up. He should, I agree. He shouldn't be up in AAA, but I do I do think there is. Pro- we've seen progression with him over the past two years, or a year and a half, I should say. Uh, do I? Am I going to say he's never going to make the major leagues? No. Because I think long-term he does have the potential. If Chris Davis can be in the major leagues, Tim Tebow can be in the major leagues. You lost that much respect for me as a baseball player. <laughs> he's, he's the Chris Davis of AAA. I know you're a Tim, Tim Tebow like lover, but you lost that much respect for me for All right. baseball. Anyway, we'll, we'll what do we on, got we'll on move the on ugly. To ugly, ugly? Your ugly face. Um, but <laughs> wow, <laughs> this guy, this elevated quickly. You're gonna, well, then you're going to take shots at me with Tim Tebow. I'm going to go to your face. Uh, no, Jesus. but um, wow. I got a two-part ugly here. Uh, the first one, go. I'm gonna give it out. I, I originally had this as bad, but I'm gonna give it to. I'm gonna give it to ugly. Uh, the Marlins Twitter handle took a wrong turn, and they went at the Rays. They went at the Rays with a statement on Twitter saying, "You're literally the animal that killed Steve Irwin." Log off. The Miami Marlins Twitter account tweeted Ouch. that? Yes. Holy cow. Wow. Yes. Wow. I'm sure that guy <laughs> doesn't have a job anymore. Or girl, uh, apparently he does. Because the former uh, uh, president, I forget his name, he was tweeting about the fact that this guy still had a job. He knows who it was. Wow. And the guy still had a job. I'm like, what? What? How? How does this guy still have a job? I don't get it, but again, it's a two-part ugly. So that's the first part. The second part goes to this ugly brawl that we saw. It. Did you guys Are you see kidding this? me? It was great. <laughs> When's the last time you saw a pitcher charge an entire dugout? <laughs> it was great. Uh, How yeah. is this ugly? This guy went in there. I mean, like a freaking superhero. Dun, 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 dun. Like he was going to take on the entire team. It was great. Oh, he he made sure it was funny. Was he checked the third base coach? Did you see that? He like checked the third base coach and was like, ah, you're good. And then like he reared back with his left hand. He's a lefty. Oh, man. Uh, Amir. Talk about Amir Garrett. Uh, he's the pitcher that 
He he looked to take on the entire Pirates dugout. Yes, I and loved it was it. he went straight out. He was getting pulled out of the game. He goes at them. He he takes a swing, misses. They take a few swings on him. Then David Bell, the manager for the the Reds, mind you, he was ejected already. Comes running out, and I thought he was gonna like spear Clint Hurdle. He pulled up and shoved him. But then he gets taken down and put in a damn headlock by the hitting coach for the Pirates, David Etches, or David Eckstein. So this whole thing, or I'm sorry, Rick Eckstein, this whole thing landed eight suspensions, including the two managers. You know who was in the middle of this that seems to be in the middle of all brawls? Color me yep. surprised. Yasiel Puig. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Puig. Mr. Puig himself, y- yet again, makes an, a, a, a debut in his whole thing. That's he, one guy I'm not charging at, though. That's no, a big he's man. Crazy. He's, he's crazy, and he's a big dude. Yeah, he's well, got the crazy he, eyes, man. Yeah, he, got a, he got a three-game suspension out of it. Uh, manager David Bell got a, uh, got a, uh, a six-game suspension out of it. Clint Hurdle also got a two-game suspension, so the two managers both get suspended. Then you have Pirates pitcher who, after this whole thing, threw in the ninth inning at Derek Dietrich's head and gets a 10-game suspension. <laughs> Dumbass. Yeah, exactly. Amir Garrett, the guy that charged, gets an eight-game suspension. Jose Ozuna, oh, for the Pirates, the infielder, he gets a five-game suspension. Reds pitcher Jared Hughes, who threw some punches, gets a three-game suspension. And Pirates pitcher uh, Kyle Crick, who also got three games suspension for his his actions. I hope that pitcher gets a statue erected of him one day, and it's him just in that <laughs> dun, 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 superhero fa- uh, pose, man. I oh, I loved it. It was loved it was terrible. good, man. It was good. It was crazy. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was definitely ugly for sure. <laughs> All right, Scott. This week's two-minute warning is on you, my friend. Yeah, I've only got five topics. Well, a little bit of books as usual. Five paragraphs. <laughs> Good lord! Leave me in my paragraphs alone. You're doing a shot if I if I get through all these. All right, your two-minute warning, Scott. It starts now. The International Basketball Federation suspended an American basketball player who's been playing in Europe after a drug test revealed that he was. Pregnant. DJ Cooper was trying to boy- join the Bosnian national team as a naturalized player, but had to pass a drug test first. Hey, Cooper yo. passed the drug test, but he was told there was an anomaly in his urine sample. <laughs> Cooper reportedly tried to beat the test by using his girlfriend's urine. Surprise! Turns out she's pregnant. Hey, we're having <laughs> twins. It's unclear as why he was trying to cheat, but dude, really? ESPN's Jeff Passan reported on Monday that the Reds have claimed right-hander Kevin Gosman, I know that name, off waivers from the Braves. This means that Gosman is now a member of the Reds, and they're going to take out his $2.8 million remaining salary of his $9.3 million salary for Who this year. Who got the better end of that trade? Cincinnati is really banging on a return because Gosman is mirrored in the worst season of his big league career. 
Houston Texans, Texans rookie Lonnie Johnson didn't make any friends on the first day of joint practices with Green Bay Packers. He's actually kicked off the field, yet another ejection, and he was sent to the showers after he leveled two players in what was supposed to be a non-tackling session. Cut off the chop! Done! J.J. Watt broke a kid's bike! Yeah, you heard me right. Bicycle. <laughs> it was all in fun as the Packers and Texans had their joint practice this week, and Green Bay has a long-standing tradition of riding a kid's bike to one of their practices. Well, when JJ tried, he broke the kids. Afterwards, he was quoted as saying, "The bike that I was using was not equipped for a 290-pound pan, and the seat and 290-pound man, jeez, and the seat broke off. We have purchased a new bike for the boys, so I apologize for that, JJ." This kid better be getting more than a replacement bike. I'm just saying that. <laughs> per ESPN sources, ESPN sources. I didn't know. I wasn't paying attention to the time, and I didn't realize how much time I had left. And I looked up, and I was like, shit. Oh, man. We want to take a second and thank the good people over at Sound United, the parent company of Polk Audio, Definitive Technology, Denon, Marantz, and Classe, for sending us these attractive Denon AHD 5200 headphones. Denon makes some of the most popular AV receivers, but man, do they know headphones too. These premium headphones sport ear cups made of real zebra wood and exotic tone wood used on high-end acoustic guitars. This lends the AHD5200s a naturally warm, musical sound. You'll find Denon's free-edge drivers under the hood, a shining example of Japanese headphone engineering. Large dynamic drivers are suspended within a baffle system that lowers resonance. The drivers deliver healthy mids, smooth highs, and tight, potent bass. Just let your ears sink into the plush blended leather padding and enjoy music like never before. All right, Scott, take us out of here. We want to remind all of you guys, check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. You can check out all of our episodes, learn about each of us, contact us, and get yourself some Birdland BS gear. I lost my hat. I'm not happy. Oh, no, not the know. hat. I don't know what to do. I got to order another one. Uh, visit thebigplay.com, Big Play Twitter page, and download the Big Play app. Make sure you check us out on there. Follow us on all of our social media accounts. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. At BirdlandBS is how you find everything. You can also check out on Twitter at FredBLBS, at ScottBLBS, and at ITBlakeBLBS. Like, follow, subscribe, and share while you're there. If you want to have your opinion or topic heard on the show, use the hashtag That's BLBS. Your comments will come up for sure. As always, be sure to check out the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, we'll be back next Tuesday night, 845. I will be remote, but I'll be here. So we'll see you guys, 845. For myself, Fred, and IT Brian, we'll see you next week. See you.